Hello, 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 my beautiful people. Welcome back to the Secrets of a Conflict Coach podcast. This is episode six of season two. And of course, as always, I'm Hannah, your conflict coach. As you probably know by now, we have been working our way through my five tips for reducing conflict in your life. I outlined these in episode one, and we've been working through them individually, episode by episode. The first one was managing your expectations. The second one is setting healthy boundaries. The third one is recognizing and understanding your emotions. And the fourth one was responding instead of reacting. So in the same spirit, today's episode surrounds the fifth and final step that I gave to reducing conflict in your life. And this step is understanding the fact that other people's emotions, reactions, and behavior usually have everything to do with their reality and very little to do with you, even if it feels personal when emotions are heightened. And I'm not going to lie to you guys, this one took me a little longer to put together because I reframed how I approached this topic a handful of times before I really felt right about it. This one is more complex than the others, only because technically it is just a fact you have to accept before you can move forward with healthy conflict resolution. But that leads to the question, how do I accept that? It's so much easier said than done. And I'll say it a thousand times, your life will improve if you stop taking other people's emotions so personally. But when I say don't take it personally, I don't mean let it go or let it roll off your back or get over it or forgive and forget. But when I say don't take their emotions personally, I mean remember that their outward expression of emotion has to do with what's going on inside of them, not what's going on with you. In reality, though, the ability to accept this fact is the final piece of the emotional intelligence puzzle. So without these other foundational steps, this other foundational work that we've been laying down through the previous four steps, step five will feel irrational. So there's a reason that I organize these tips or these steps in this way. If you try to set healthy boundaries but you're still trying to manage other people instead of managing your own expectations, then those boundaries aren't going to be healthy or effective. Similarly, if you're not sure how to recognize and process your emotions when they come, then you'll never be able to make sure you're responding instead of reacting because you'll always react to those emotions when they come. But when you start by retraining your brain to focus on your own expectations instead of trying to manage others, that's when you're able to separate your perspective from the perspective of others and understand that they may not always be compatible in every aspect. That understanding is what opens the door for you to feel confident setting healthy boundaries without trying to change other people because boundaries are about you, not them. And if your boundaries are healthy and being upheld, then your interactions are more emotionally regulated naturally. So when emotions do arise, you can recognize them and process them more easily. 
then being able to process your emotions as they come is what allows us to formulate responses in conflict instead of emotionally react in a way that could damage the relationship. And those first four steps really are so incredibly interconnected that that's what I mean when I say that step five is kind of the last piece of the puzzle. You have to really practice those first four steps and get used to them. Train your brain to make those your normal. And once you do that, then you can start working on bridging the gap to the fifth step, which is just accepting the fact that you may not always understand what's going on with someone else and that the way they're reacting or the way they're behaving or the way they're choosing to approach a conflict or a conversation has to do with what they're going through, not what's going on with you. So the most effective way to really bridge that gap to the fifth step is to practice reminding yourself regularly that your emotion and conflict is a reflection of every experience and conflict that has shaped your reality in your life. And you have the power to change how you respond to and communicate that emotion. Once you understand that about yourself, then you can more easily understand that the same is true for every single person you interact with. Regardless of circumstances, experiences, political views, religions, opinions, or identities, when we're in emotionally heightened situations or conversations, those emotions we feel are real. And they're there as a way for our subconscious to attempt to protect us. So it's not necessarily a bad thing that these emotions rise. They are information for us. But that's why it's important to be able to recognize and understand and process them and pull that information from them before you react on them. And some people that you encounter in your life will genuinely go their entire lives without ever learning how to do this. But even if we know that they're not behaving or reacting or communicating in the most effective and healthy and productive way, we can still understand that whatever they are doing is real for them. It's coming from a real place. It's based on their reality. It's based on their perspective. It's based on their attitude. And usually, again, there are cases where this isn't true, but usually it has nothing to do with us. We're all physiologically human, and humans have basic needs in life. We have physiological needs like food, sleep, or responsibility. We have security needs like physical resources or good health. We have relational needs like connection, belonging, and a sense of family, whether that's chosen or biological. We have social needs, like a sense of freedom, recognition, respect from others. And then we have personal needs, like the desire to reach self-actualization, or at the very least, self-esteem and self-respect. And the kicker is that if any of these needs are going unmet, it creates a subconscious internal fear. And these fears get internalized 
and turn into self-doubt. And that self-doubt is the breeding ground for emotional triggers and insecurities. So the fears and insecurities that we all have residing deep in those depths of our minds, those come from these needs consistently being unmet. Either they've gone unmet for a long period of time or they've unpredictably been met and unmet so many times that your brain won't really let you rely on them being there. It feels safer assuming that they're unmet than facing the unpredictability of adjusting to the switch back and forth. And as complex as that may feel, it's normal. It happens to every single person over the course of their life. And most of us will not recognize that it's happened until those insecurities and fears and doubts start negatively affecting our relationships. And we have to start doing some dissecting and some experimenting and some self-reflection and trying to figure out where those triggers are coming from. So please hear me when I say that. It is normal to have emotional triggers. It is normal to overreact sometimes. It is normal to look back at a conflict and think, I should not have been so reactive, but that really just hurt. The key is to recognize these moments and do some of that internal work to address those insecurities or just gaps in basic needs. Ask yourself questions like, is this other person actually responsible for meeting these needs for you? How can you meet those needs for yourself? Is it important to you that you heal your relationship with the person or people who didn't fulfill these needs for you as a child? And what would your inner child need from you now in order to not be reactive in those moments or lighten the emotional reactivity of that trigger? We're really digging deeper now, and I, I don't want to get into therapist territory, but the point is having a hard time with this concept with accepting and understanding that other people's emotional reactions and behavior has more to do with them than it does with you, having trouble with that is super normal. It's not easy. Please know that even if other people aren't handling conflict well, you can still handle an emotionally heightened situation with grace and compassion without showing weakness. You just have to know that you're doing what's best for you and if it's important, what's best for the relationship at hand. And by understanding that you have control over the way you respond to other people's emotions, but you don't have control over their emotion itself or how they choose to express it, you can be an example of healthy conflict resolution to people who may never have experienced or witnessed that before. But if and when you're in conflict with someone who hasn't done the internal work and doesn't understand exactly what healthy conflict resolution is, and they choose a damaging alternative, that's when this kicks in the most. It's especially important that you don't judge them for that in the moment, but also don't try to change them on the spot. Understand that they are acting from the place that feels most real to them. And it's not your job to fully understand that. It is your job to accept their choices as they come and make sure you're choosing your own responses instead of adopting their emotional reactions. 
because our brains tend to adopt the emotions of the people and environments that surround us. And that happens for several reasons. But we have to be able to recognize when that's happening in conflict. You can still try to communicate productively and decide where the line is. When is it no longer your issue? And what do you decide to do then? When we're in these emotionally charged situations or anything that even kind of feels like conflict, it's natural to take an offensive or defensive mindset. That's a hard habit to break, especially if we have a tendency to avoid or accommodate or dominate in conflict. And we will probably never get it perfect, especially in cases where other people are saying or doing things that really trigger something that we deeply identify with. And if you remember, or if you listened to season one, we did an exercise on identifying what your main triggers might be. What are the pieces of your identity that are closest to the core of who you consider yourself to be? Those are the things that you're most likely to be triggered by. So for an example, most parents will put mother or father or parent as a main part of their identity, something they identify most strongly with in their life. And similarly, those will be the things that they are highly triggered by if their skills or competency in that area is threatened or questioned. And the same goes for teachers and nurses and other occupations who highly, highly identify with their work. And the same goes for CEOs or managers or bosses and how highly they identify as good leaders or someone who makes good decisions for the group. And more recently, that's even been the case with people's political views or political parties as well. People are identifying so closely to these things that it's such an easy emotional trigger for them. And sometimes that's okay and sometimes it's problematic, but that's up to you to decide for yourself and you have to do a personal inventory of these things within you in order to make that decision. And the bottom line is that emotional expression, positive or negative, will always charge a situation or a conversation, but you have partial control over whether or not that emotional charge is productive or damaging. And I say partial control because as we know, you have control over how you process and respond, but not how they choose to do so. But you can decide whether you will either act on emotion or recognize and communicate your emotion. And I can promise you that recognizing and communicating that emotion is more effective every single time as long as you have a good foundation of emotional intelligence and have done the internal work and have taken your personal inventories and have a good feel for your self-regulation, your emotional regulation, and all the other pieces of emotional intelligence that come together to form that foundation that allows you to approach conflict in a healthy way. My hope is that, if nothing else, you leave this episode feeling like you want to learn a little bit more about yourself and your emotions and the gaps in your needs and what that means for the way you see and respond to conflict. But more than anything else, I want you to leave with the understanding that you're not always supposed to understand what's going on with somebody else. 
you can try your hardest to ask good questions and be involved in conversation and approach situations with grace and understanding and compassion. But that doesn't mean that they're going to switch gears and start speaking in a respectful way. It doesn't mean that they're going to really understand the fact that you're trying to handle the conflict productively in the moment. We've all had moments where we're in a situation and we truly feel like we are doing what is best in that situation. But we look at it later, either with more information or with a calmer mindset, and we realize that that wasn't the most productive or effective or healthy way to go about that conflict or conversation. That's a normal part of life. It's a normal part of being human. It's a normal part of relationships. There will be disagreements. There will be conflict. And you have control over how you respond in those situations. Just like they have control over how they respond in those situations. Even if they don't know it yet. And that, ladies and gentlemen, closes out our series on tips to reducing conflict in your life. But don't worry, the season is not over yet. I've still got a few really awesome episodes planned out for you guys. I'm just so grateful that you're making me part of your week. And I feel so honored to be able to bring this information to you guys in a way that feels accessible and hopefully in a way that makes a lot of sense. This was episode six of the Secrets of a Conflict Coach podcast. As always, you can reach out to me through my link tree, through my email address, or through my social media. All of those will be linked in the description of wherever you're getting this podcast. I hope you have a wonderful week. And I'll see you later this week for episode seven.